Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Shane Claiborne is on the pod today, a name I'm sure many people who listen to this podcast will be familiar with. Amongst many other things, Shane Claiborne is one of the founding members of Red Letter Christians, a movement which takes the words of Jesus seriously. He is the author of a number of books, including one of my personal favorites, Jesus for President. Most recently, Shane is also the author of Beating Guns, a book about his opposition to gun culture and also detailing the literal work he's doing of turning swords into plowshares or guns into gardening tools. We had a really good time talking with Shane about these things, as well as the recent movement that he's a part of, which is the Christians Against Christian Nationalism, and a petition that he has started where Christian leaders get to acknowledge their opposition to these things. So we also discussed, of course, the state of play today in America and beyond when it comes to nationalism, patriotism, and Christian identity. We also discussed Shane's work in the opposition to the death penalty and some of the issues around capital punishment that is something he is also passionate about. We really enjoyed talking to Shane and having him on the tent. He is a whirlwind of positivity without being naive or sentimental. He's genuinely encouraging. He's friendly and gracious. And also his work is worth supporting. So please do check out the links to in this podcast to some of the organizations that Shane is a part of. In the show notes, you can also see ways to support Tent Theology and its work through the Patreon account. This kind of work doesn't happen all by itself, and it happens only through support of people like you. So we thank you very much for what you do to help us keep doing this. Okay, on with the show. Well, that's part of the deal. I'm not in Philly right now. I'm in the hills of North Carolina, loving it, hanging out with our family. Okay. And uh, we've got a we've got a school bus that's converted into a little solar powered tiny house. Oh, so, awesome. uh, uh Yeah, we're living on that thing and loving it. Oh, good. So you're you're not relying on school bus internet, I can see, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not on it right now. But I've got you know I am relying on this little baby here. Oh, so can. yeah. So that's. Uh, well, I really appreciate good. it. I mean, I, I guess you must be quite, well, I don't know. Are you overloaded with the requests and stuff these days? With It's a weird, it's a strange time, isn't it? I, yeah. I'm not overloaded. I'm very happy. I'm never bored, but I'm also, uh, um, you know, ready to be together and with real people in real space sometime. Right. But uh, right. yeah, I got to go up to Philly this week and see uh, a bunch of friends and be in you know our our community so that was really nice yeah oh, but we're loving it down here too yeah now i've just i'm just admitting uh, my co-host and sort of engineer of the podcast sean mccoy has just come on as well so he'll okay be a, he'll be a kind of a silent partner to this but here he comes so there he is hello, hello. how are you sean hey, is sean. from texas and he's a former veteran who's now definitely thrown out and got given away all his guns so <laughs> Awesome. That's well, if you sure. know anybody else that's got guns, Sean, there's a lot in Texas. We're uh, chop, chopping them up. 
Yeah, we have. There's a few of them down here. We've we've uh, we have our fair share. That is for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really a pleasure to meet you. So I, I have to tell. You, I came to my faith late. Got baptized. I was 32 back in 2006, and right after that was when your book came out. I think, or not too far before that. Yeah. And yeah, it was one of the first books well, I read, and I was just blown away. So yeah, that a means a lot, you. man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. And I always love hearing stories like yours. That's a that's a gift. Yeah, thanks for. For letting me know. Hopefully, I'll get to meet you sometime. That'd be great. Yeah. No, we. Uh, it was just one of those. Uh, I wanted to take take my privilege of being one of the co-hosts and be able to jump in and just listen and <laughs> and then just let you know that yeah, you'd had a profound effect on just it was it was it was the rat it was just the whole you know and it was a jolt and it's took taken a long time for I think the repercussions of that to really set in and Stephen was a big part of my journey around that as well. That, I mean, he's not kidding. Like I had this moment in the last year uh, right before the pandemic hit where I sold every gun that I owned except a hunting rifle and a, and a shotgun for sporting clays, which I think. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. My wife's going turkey hunting right now. So nice. yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. 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 But all, all, all the, you know, pistol, I didn't have a lot, but pistol and like people that I knew and you know how it is in this world. You're like, you're going to do, you know, well, you're not gonna have a handgun in your house. What are you going to do if somebody breaks in? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do if somebody comes in and tries to beat up your wife? What are you going to do? I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not going to shoot them. I know that. Oh <laughs> man. Bless you. Yeah. I came home, you'll get a kick out of this. And I, I uh, have a really great connection in DC now through the mayor's office and stuff. So on my way from Philly down, they're like, just drop by and we'll give you some guns. So I go in and they pull this trailer up and just start loading the back of our car with guns. So and I'm like, what do I do if I get pulled over? You know, um, cause they, they decommission them. They, but I usually chop them. So like when they're chopped, they're like, Right. You know, you, you feel different than when it's it's welded together, but it still looks like a functional gun, you know. And so yeah. he's like, well, just have the police officer give me a call. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> just not sure that that's going to work. It's like, just call what if number. you're having dinner with your family and I'm on the side of the road with handcuffs on? But no. anyway, yeah, it all worked out. So right. I'm driving right. home so careful. I took a wrong turn and I'm like one block from the Capitol with a trunk full of guns, oh like God. shaking my heart, like just shaking. Yeah. yeah. If I get pulled over here, I'm a goner. So oh, that'd be, that's one anyway. way to get famous. That's one way to get your name in the paper, I guess. Yeah. We could, yeah. It would help the, the, the gun cause and be like, yeah. So about that, if you've got a trunk full of guns, you can give them <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm really encouraged. Uh, and, you know, I think all those changes, I've had plenty of them in my own life too. I mean, I grew up with guns, grew up, you know, my dad was in the military, all that stuff. So, um, but it's, it's such a sign, I think of the spirit in us, you know, that we're you all trying to lean into Jesus. So keep at it, man. It's beautiful. Thanks. I even got to the point where I, instead of saying, I'll shoot you an email or shooting from yeah. the hip, like I've, I've, you know, the awareness is like, I, I will correct my text message. I'll correct my emails and stop saying that. Cause it just, it just, I didn't realize how pervasive it was in my life and every little thing that I say, we were talking yesterday and I was using an analogy from a business application. And I said, you could be like a sniper, Steven. And I was like, <laughs> maybe not. There you go. I need yeah. to know, you know, you could be effective in, instead of, cause we just, it's just that military. And, and that's part of it too, to be honest with you, Shane is realizing as somebody look you you understand i got it bad i mean growing up in texas being in the military you know america i mean all that stuff and then to have that kind yeah. of falling apart is a is a uh, realizing that you know we're as brian zahn said way back in the episode i listened before i met steven was you know i'm the roman right i'm the roman soldier like literally in the story i'm not the the other side and so it's and i yeah. also watched you on his his current his recent documentary i watched uh 
I watched it. And then the, the questions after that you were part of when you were driving your car and all that stuff. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was embarrassing. Yeah. I remember no, it was that. good. Was hey, we'll take, what, we'll, we'll take what we can get, man, in your car, yeah. at, at the mall, whatever. <laughs> all right. I'll, yeah, I'll shut up now. I, I promise I will. No, right, I'm so glad, man. We it's ought to have just, you on our show. Yeah. It's good, Sean. Yeah. We're, we're going to have some proper time to hear your story. I think soon we got to have that. So Sean was a part of this. He's a part of this podcast. He had a, a, a podcast where he invites people to have conversations, just open conversations. And uh, he invited me to be on his uh, a couple of years ago now, because I I done some I do a lot of work on nationalism and Christian. Nationalism yeah. stuff. And he'd heard me on a podcast which was connected to Brian Zan. So, yeah, Nomad. Know, you, you've Nomad, been on the Nomad podcast. Yeah. 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 So that, that's where it started. And then during uh, lockdown, I, I run this thing called Tent Theology, which is like a freelance. I'm a freelance theologian. Nice. And okay. I couldn't do my work being a consultant theologian for churches and networks during lockdown. So I started the podcast and I got in touch with Sean and he's helping me put this thing together. He I love expertise. it. Yeah. Well, listen, Shane, I think, I mean, I want to start. My wife has told me that I'm too negative. She's, she, I get too depressed too quickly. So she doesn't like that I'm always trying to get people to to think about how bad the world is. What are you thankful for today, Shane? Oh wow, I'm thank I have so much to be thankful for. I uh, each day get to pass this purple patch uh, oh, yeah. of, of uh, flowers that are blooming, and it's absolutely covered with butterflies. Which you know, um, I, I think of that quote, you know, from the color purple. It, if you pass by purple and don't stop and notice it makes God pretty angry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, I just was hanging out with my community in Philadelphia and they, everybody's just stepped up to yeah. um, care for people in the pandemic. You know, we're, yeah. we're testing fo folks for the virus. We're delivering meals to seniors. We're, you know, it, it's just a, a beautiful thing to, to see. So if we believe light shines in the darkness, uh, it's a great time to be alive. And I, I mean, I see a, a lot of bright lights even in the middle of the, this current darkness. I mean, you've got, tell me about all the different irons you have in the fire right now. So you, you talked about the Philadelphia community. <laughs> you've been talking about living in a bus. You've been melting down guns. You've been stopping capital punishment. Well, your... <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying. <laughs> what is oh. on your heart and mind these days, Shane? Well, I mean, all of these things connect and intersect, yeah. don't they? So it's not, I'm not a like single issue person, but I uh, care deeply about life and there's lives at stake, you know, with the pandemic, there's lives at, and, and the inequities that have surfaced, right? The pandemic is surfaced you know these pre-existing conditions of hundreds of years of racism so like we kind of see it yeah you know as you know the saying goes here that when america catches a cold black folks catch pneumonia uh, right. so it disproportionately affects you know some of our communities but um yeah i mean literally iron in the fire is what we're doing with the forge so i, I love doing physical things with my hands especially you know in the quarantine and stuff so we've we've been I, I just told you before we were recording, I think we I just came home with a, a car full of guns <laughs> that were donated and we'll turn them into garden tools. And we, we make, uh, I make crosses out of them now too. So I, I always think uh, 
the, the gun and the cross give you two really different versions of power. And so it's, you know, to right. see one thing that's designed to kill into something that we now see as a conduit of, you know, this transformation, because the cross was a violent thing, you know, for the yeah. empire. And so I, I, you know, all that to me is uh, uh, part of what I'm loving doing. And, um, and, and yeah, we, we've got this bus. This is a thing, Stephen, I don't know if you know, but school buses are retired pretty regularly like okay. rental cars you know and they keep them pretty well maintained and so you can get them really cheap so there's a whole schooly movement yeah. and uh, my wife alerted me to this and I think she knew every school bus that was uh, up for grabs in the country and so we ended up uh, getting one that's uh, a, so it's an old school bus converted into a little solar powered tiny house and we've got all of our you know we've got a composting toilet toilet but we've got all of our blacksmithing stuff that we haul with it. So we're, we're, we're rocking it. <laughs> this is now, listen, I, I have been, I follow you on Instagram and I love the pictures of you melting down guns. Where do you learn how to be a blacksmith from? Where does that come from? Well, here's the deal. I, and I am just an apprentice on all this, but we have a, uh, friends that started raw tools, which is war flip backwards, right? Yeah. Raw, okay. uh, raw tools. And, they there's now a, we call it the disarming network that's a part of our all tools so we've got blacksmiths all over the country we jump on the phone okay. once a month and share uh ideas you know somebody will say i've got all kinds of wood stock you know does anybody want it from the you know the wood part of the gun yeah. and now yeah. we're making that into handles for the the tools that we make of out course. of the, the you know that so yeah now we're melting down the brass from bullet casings the shells of the bullets melting them into stuff so we're learning all the time and uh yeah, and my wife's a blacksmith too. She she went to a legit school, so she's more of a um, uh, legitimate blacksmith than I yeah. am. She yeah, so she she she's doing it with me. So yeah, it's awesome. Oh, there's something so very healing, uh, you know, about just taking the hammer. You can get a lot of uh, your your uh, emotions worked yeah. out just by taking a hammer and beating the crud out of an assault rifle. You know, so wow. <laughs> Uh, let, let, let me put my uh, cards on the table. I was doing a bit of research on you and I read the, was it the Washington Post profile of you from January? But there's a description there of, 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 the, of, the, of a woman who was beating, was invited to go and hammer away at a, at a rifle and her son or her nephew had been killed. Mm. And, and it was just, it made me cry just thinking about that. And I was like, yeah, there is something really cathartic about killing a gun yeah well i you know it started <clears throat> with out of uh, the pain and the grief of our community in philadelphia seeing okay. one life lost after another and uh for a while we were having one homicide a day in philly right. and during the pandemic it spiked to the most it's been in year decades we had, we had uh, 500 homicides last year, and, and that's true across the country. So, yeah, I mean, this has hmm. been, you know, just a national epidemic of gun violence that's taken so many lives. And, and yet a lot of folks that call themselves pro-choice, I mean, pro-life, yeah. uh, are, are kind of silent on issues other than abortion. So we're, you know, trying to change some of that. But yeah, I mean, when we started doing it, it was the symbol was powerful, but it was also the lament and the ability to channel that grief and you know deep sadness and trauma yeah. and 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 um so 
over and over we've seen iterate, you know, different manifestations of that. And I mean, one, one friend of mine now is uh, her mother was killed in the Emanuel AME church shooting, um, you know, where black African-American church service was happening and Dylan Roof came in and shot them in the middle of their prayer meeting. And um, she named all nine of her family, her mom, her two cousins. And this is my friend, Sharon Risher. And then she's beating on that gun. She's weeping, you know, and and she says it healed something inside of me. Mm -hmm. And she said, I also felt myself thinking about all the things that I wanted to do to Dylan Roof, the shooter. And I just took it all out on that gun. (laughs) So, yeah. And we've seen that people on the other side too. One young man was really moved as he was beating on the gun. And afterwards he told us that he had killed someone when he was a teenager. And um, he counted as he was beating on it 18 times for the 18 year old whose Hmm. life he, he was responsible for taking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you, how are you find how are you being received right now when you start to do this? Are you, are you finding people are, are uh, inspired or switched on by what you're doing? You, you mean with the guns or with the Christian nationalism? I think fellow Christian, any- well, <laughs> let's talk about Christian nationalism later. Right now, let's, <laughs> okay. So my friend, here's, here, I'll tell you the backstory. I've got a student and uh, the other day he, he wrote to me, he lives in, well, I won't say where he lives. He lives in the middle America. And he, and he was around people he described as country music Christians, who he said, they're just good old boys. They just love violence more than anything else in the world. They love their violence. You could question the Trinity or the virgin birth or the inerrancy of the Bible. They don't care. But if you question violence, then they hate you. And, and, and he was in tears to me. And he's like, I don't know. I feel so lonely. I don't know who to be around. I don't know if I can keep going to these churches. And and then I also get these questions from other people as well. Like, how do you do this when you're trying to live this way amongst a, a wider Christian culture that just does not like it? Yeah. Um, are, are you, do you, are you finding people coming out of these churches or are you finding that the churches are being transformed? Uh, I think probably all of the above, you know, and people are entrenched, some of mm. them, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, so th- this is what, what I see Stephen is, is that, Part of what we're doing with the guns, like literally at the forge, is it moves people in a space that's different, right? So it, it's not just the head space, but it really moves people in their heart when they see a gun. Like, for instance, an AR-15 that's designed to kill as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, mm. is often, you know, is the weapon of choice in a lot of the mass shootings. It's a weapon of war, you know, and and yet it's still legal on our streets. So when people see that, there is something that often moves in them, you know, um, and and that's where I think, you know, we've got to win people's hearts and sometimes their minds follow, but I don't know too many people that change their mind because they lost an argument, you know, or they heard a really great exegetical, you know, thing on scripture and they're like, you know what? It isn't that. It You're right. I'm going to get rid of all my guns, you know, but I think when it becomes personal, that's a big part of this is the personal side, right? That gun violence has names and faces. And that's what the Black Lives Matter movement has yeah. done for us in some ways is put real um, make racism and police violence like personal. You know, we have names and faces. say their names, Breonna Taylor, say their names, George Floyd, you know. Um, and I think we've got to kind of have that same urgency on, a, on, on gun violence um, and, and, you know, other things too, immigration, you know, things like that. But yeah. anyway, that, that's what I see. But the, so, it's the heart though. I mean, it is like my friend, my young friend was saying, it's like, they love it. Like, it's not, 
there's not a Bible study going on here. They love the guns. They love the violence with a, with an enthusiasm and an infatuation. And they and I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest or predict that there's probably whole, not a whole lot of black people in these churches that my friend is talking about. So how do we what what do you do? What kind of ex experience have you got with talking to groups who don't they're not moved by naming Black Lives Matter? They're not moved by these things. What do we do? What, what would I how am I going to help my friend? Well, so there, the, I, I think there, the, there's a lot of things to unpack in that question. And one of them is that I really do believe in spiritual warfare. I mean, I believe yeah. in principalities and powers. Uh, I grew up Methodist, but I got pretty charismatic and Pentecostal and that, yeah. that still shapes me. But when I look at things like this, um, there is no doubt in my mind that we are wrestling with some real principalities and powers that have surfaced in our country. And we certainly see them mm. manifest themselves in things like the insurrection at the Capitol. But I mean, if you just stand on a street corner and you wear, like I have a, I have a shirt that we have at red letter Christians. It says on the shirt and really wonderful, bold letters. It says black lives matter to God. Mm -hmm. If you just here, you know, where I am down in North Carolina, if you just stood outside of a shopping mall with that shirt on and interacted with people, you would see it evoke both the good, the compassionate, and I think some really rough things. I mean, I see it all the time when I wear that shirt. I got to be ready when I wear that shirt, you know, and I think yeah. some people don't have the choice to get ready to wear the, the shade of skin that they have, you know, and so I think that's what we're wrestling with. Um, but we, we have an addiction to violence. Right. Um, and, uh, and we even have the same idea. And I, I use the addiction language, not lightly, you know, I mean, there is saying like, we need more guns to solve our gun problem is, is like an alcoholic saying, I need some whiskey to help my drinking problem. Like right. I'm not, you know, I, I just like where we are so saturated with guns, we lead the entire world and, um, gun deaths and suicides. And so there's so much at stake. And that's where, particularly on guns, what you're naming is so important is that I grew up saying I was pro-life, but we were surrounded by guns. You know, I grew yeah. up, we, we got country music. You talk about, you know, yeah. uh, we got the, the song that says, this house is protected by the good Lord and a gun. And yeah, if you yeah. come uninvited, you'll meet them both, son. Like that's a song, you know? Um, and what was um, this? What, what yeah. switched in you? What was the what was the moment that switched the your brain or your heart? I don't know that there was a single moment, but there was I like that scripture that says that I, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, taking my faith, like, being a Christian was not just a moment, but a movement of, of trying to be more and more like Jesus. And, and so the, the one thing that happened is I very innocently started reading the words of Jesus and mm. finding it impossible to reconcile violence yep. with the cross with, I, I just can't, couldn't find, I couldn't find a loophole <laughs> yeah. on, on like love your enemy and simultaneously preparing to kill them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so those things, those things happen, but then this is the other thing that's really important is that, uh, my, my landscape changed. I'm, I moved from the Bible belt in East Tennessee where God and guns was very normative to North Philadelphia where, uh, gun deaths are very right. 
regular. And, and, and one of those moments that I will name was when a 19 year old was shot in front of my house and okay. I was holding his hand when he was still taking his last breath and the ambulance came and he lost, you know, he died the next morning. But that was one of those moments where it, it was, um, I can remember Dr. King saying, we're all called to be the good Samaritan and lift our neighbor out of the ditch. But after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to also ask, maybe we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I thought, I want to be here. You know, I want to be present when someone's life is, you know, when they're killed in our streets, we need to have these memorial services. Yeah. No one should die without people noticing. But yeah. then like you start to go, yeah, we got to do something about the, the, the guns too. You got to shut the water off. You can't just keep bucketing it out. You know? Well, the famous quote, you know, when I care for the poor, they call me a Christian. When I ask why they're poor, they call me a communist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's the connection to the I mean, I know there is one, but how do you see the connection to the nationalism? I know you've been vocal uh, about Christian nationalism as of late. How are you seeing, is this, is this part of the addiction to violence? Or what's well, the well, they're connected, aren't they? Uh, the, the, I mean, it's even hard to imagine America as we know it without right. guns. Yeah. I mean, right. How do you take other people's land and built a country yeah. around stolen labor and people that you took from their families, you're subjugating as slaves? Like, so all of that, I mean, the guns are a major part of that history, um, even yeah. in the way that they continue to manifest themselves. And, you know, these militia groups and white supremacist groups that are here today. So a, a lot of folks have named the fact that um, America is not unique in its sins, as Eddie Glaude says, you know, like we, but what we are unique, in, like there's other countries that had slavery, there's other countries that slaughtered natives, you know, mm -hmm. but what we are unique in in America is the mythology mm -hmm. that we have created, uh, not just to justify it, but also to spiritualize it, right? Yeah, like yeah. a theology that you named so well, Stephen, is, you know, Christian nationalism, which is that, um, God has uh, a special vocation for yeah. America, a manifest destiny, you know, uh, and, and then I think there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, our money saying in God we trust while our economy looks like the seven deadly sins. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, like literally we yeah. are uh, using the Lord's name in vain. And that is, I think, um, you know, that that's what we're wrestling with. And, and that connection between uh, violence um, and the the cross is one that I wanted to make sure we were careful to name is that the cross and the gun give us these two really different versions of power. One of them says I'm willing to kill and the other says I'm willing to die. One says stand your ground. The other says turn the other cheek. And so I think it, you know, as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. There comes a point where we have to choose between the cross and the gun or a weapon. And the early Christians did that. You know, they said, we can die for Jesus, but we cannot kill for him. Yeah. And that's why they, you know, were resistant to the kind of surfacing of a, a version of Christianity that embraced the, the, the cross. I mean, the, the sword during Constantine and, you know, led to the sort of worst yeah. of our faith that we see. So, yeah. Where do you see the lay of the land? I mean, you travel. Well, I suppose you don't travel much these days, but uh, the world comes to you and America comes to you. Where do you see the lay of the land right now when it comes to the Christian imagination of violence mm. and nationalism? 
Well, there, there's a, a, a reckoning, right, happening mm-hmm. across our country, um, which has been water doesn't boil all at once, right? Yeah, I mean, right. You know, it begins to steam, it begins to, you see little bubbles. And then, you know, I think we're seeing uh, a real uh, something, something that's been, had, had a, n- a number of things that have led up to what we see now. But one of the things that I, I felt really important to keep naming during the era of Trump was that Trump wasn't changing America. He was revealing America. And he did the same for evangelicalism. Is yeah. he, he didn't change, you know, evangelicals. He surfaced uh, yeah. our fidelity, you know, and, and you see that many people are more conv- committed to Trump than to the, to Jesus, you know, many, uh, like many we see, you just cannot reconcile yeah. these two things. They're like opposing magnets. And so you had to choose that, you know? So I, I think that um, what we also see is the fault line of race, right? That a lot of folks are focusing on the 80% of white evangelicals that were right. the solid kind of base, uncompromising base of uh, Trump support. But on the, what folks often miss and a race even yeah. is outside of white Christians, people of color were the were, were the resistance. Right. Yeah. Black women were the moral conscience. They, yeah. uh, you know, and so and many of them are Christians. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they may or may not embrace the word evangelical, but they're deeply committed to their faith. And so I think we see those narratives uh, at, at also um, at odds in our country. So. It's, it's a question about who America wants to be mm-hmm. that we faced in the last election. But it's also a question about um, what is what, what do Christians really care about? You know, do we only care about abortion and sexuality or do we care about health care and immigration and gun violence and all these other issues of life and death? I mean, every every few years, sociologists are always predicting a, a kind of a mass migration of young evangelicals out of the church and that and it doesn't really happen in quite the way everybody thinks are, are we seeing are, are we seeing something with the trump movement has it actually finally are, are evangelicals breaking young evangelicals breaking ranks with the with the conservative majority or, or are just people stopping being christian yeah it's a good question and th- this will be my my poll when i try to you know take the pulse of that it's, it's often been the case that young folks that were raised in Christianity, even embrace Christianity, um, like between 18 and 30, yeah. 18, 25 years old, they leave, I mean, a lot, like over half leave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, regularly attending church. But a lot of that's because they go to university, you know, and, 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 um, and some of its other factors, too, that they end up coming back to church and the faith uh, after that kind of liminal space. But what is unique that I saw now, and I think it was the Lifeway study in Barna and some other groups, is that young people are leaving the church again. But the mm-hmm. reason that they're naming now is social justice exactly. and politics, that the yeah. church is out of touch. And some of that, I think, will be even higher as we see the polls coming out of the Trump era, right? Yeah. So anyway, I think that that, that I, you know, we've said for years, we're not losing young people because we made the gospel too hard. We're losing young people because we made it too easy. Yeah. Right. And and because we have turned Christianity into a doctrinal statement when Jesus wants to sign people up for a revolution, you know, and and young people are leaving because we're promising this world heaven when they die, you know, and people are going, well, doesn't the gospel have anything to say about mm-hmm. George Floyd in Minneapolis? You know, doesn't it uh, 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 like have anything to say 
about um, people having health care. And you see, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to continue to lose people when we're saying there's life after death if we're not addressing life before death. So I, I think that's that's been true, but it's you know even more true. What's also true now is there's a whole movement of folks that are very evangelical about their ex-evangelicalism. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So, you know, yeah. empty the pews, some things like that. But this is this is the one thing I'll say about that, Stephen, is I think we have to, for, for a lot of people that are leaving one version of yeah. Christianity, yeah. it's so important to see that there is a landscape that is yeah. so much bigger than that. I mean, you look the, yeah, at the new Black sure. Church series, you know, so like rejecting Trump evangelicalism doesn't mean that's the end of your faith. It may be the beginning of the faith. And in some ways it allows the white evangelicalism to continue to colonize our spiritual imagination to not recognize that, that there's something much bigger than just this kind of toxic white evangelicalism that people are rejecting. Yeah. Do you think these, I, I get stumped on this all the time when, when I get people who ask about like, they describe a toxic evangelical church culture that they're a part of and they hate it. And I get stumped when they ask my advice, should I leave my church? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you say to people? Is toxic church better than no church at all? So I think that we have to be wise in that there are layers of toxicity and abuse right. and language theology. There's like, there's, there's, um, a continuum of violent theology, right? And so uh, I think we got to kind of have some discernment in that. Right. But here's what I would say for everybody has to have a community that is life giving to them, right? Yeah, right? You see in Jesus, this kind of huddle and mix, you know, like we have to come together to reinforce the liturgy and the values, countercultural values. Like we've got to be surrounded by people that are trying to give away money rather than accumulate it. We're trying to surround ourselves with people that are training themselves Mm. in nonviolence rather than violence. So I think all of those things are important. And some folks end up seeing their life in their church congregation as missional, right? Like trying to bring the church back to the neighborhood, back to Jesus. That's okay. But I think we've got to have that life-giving space for us. And for a lot of folks that keep getting hurt, it's Mm. like those you know, year after year of getting paper cuts um, is going to, is going to leave a mark. And so I think that's where we've got to find a better uh, life-giving model, but we've got to do more than deconstruction. And I think that's what a lot of people are. It's just like post-evangelical therapy. We've got to do something constructive to disciple what, what we see in American nationalism is a discipleship and formation crisis, right? Uh, like, and so I think we've got to kind of name it as that. Um, but again, I think there's, there's a lot of places that folks that are leaving predominantly white space need to become more comfortable in spaces that white folks are not the majority culture. And that can help heal some of those wounds. I'm not saying every white person should leave their white church and join, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a different one. But I do think that being in spaces where white folks are a minority mm-hmm. and white folks are led from people by people who are, uh, you know, leaders of color, pastors that mm-hmm. are coming out of a different social position. It helps correct that. Yeah. I was wondering, what is your, do you ever think much, you seem to live in the moment a lot. What, can we talk a little bit about your eschatology? Your, <laughs> your, uh, talk about the, whatever you want. Let's man. put the yeah. theology back into tent theology here. Like, 
do you have a room in your heart or your mind for a kingdom of God that would ever be the majority culture? Or is it always a minority against the, is it always a bit of light against the darkness or is it sometimes going to be the majority culture? What do you think about this stuff? Yeah, well, this, this is great. I, I, I do think there's an element of our, our faith that longs for the whole world to be redeemed, right? For everyone yeah. to know the love and grace of Jesus, the power of what he did on the cross and through the resurrection. I think that all that's, creation groans with eager yeah. expectation. So yeah. that groaning is there yeah. and yeah. we join that groaning, you know, like in some ways we're kind of the midwives that are meant to be giving birth to this kingdom in the world, you know, birthing a new world in the shell of the old one. Um, and yet, at the same time, I think we're very aware that the things that we are proclaiming are very countercultural. You know, the, the, I think of the images that Jesus gives of, for the church, you know, are in the kingdom, right? They are light and darkness, salt on the earth, right? They're, they're, um, or, I like Stanley Hauerwas, you know, when he says that we're meant to be like air fresheners in the bathroom, in the toilet. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. You know, right. Um, so like we're to leave off the fragrance of Jesus in the world. Um, so I think that contrast becomes very important that there is a distinctive sort of countercultural element that, that we're the church is to be God's uh, society of love, you know, showing the world uh, what what that this vision is meant to be. I mean, we all, you know, always fall, fall short of that vocation. But that I think that's what we're kind of called to do. So, that, yeah. that you know, you see this remnant. So I guess that's part of my my theology is that we we hope for the the, the gate is open to everyone, but it's kind of like that story Jesus told you you throw this big banquet and no one comes. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's invited, you know, but yeah. no one comes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just go get whoever will come then, right? Yeah. So where is the where's the room for government or, or for laws and things? Because you're also interested in changing laws presumably and you want to change the capital punishment laws and you presumably you see that as a bit of the kingdom of god at work in the kingdoms of man right yeah well we we wrestle with that in our book you know jesus for president because we wrote that book that that book was really the fruit of multiple book studies bible studies we were doing wrestling with this exact question and then we had so many other people talking about it we it ended up taking the shape of that the the book jesus for president but my my posture is that a part of of the reign of god i kind of think of the kingdom of god as like the dream of god you know what is god's dream god's um perfect vision um for this world and it's for our systems to work better for everyone. So if God's redeeming all things, then I think that our systems for as, as a society need to be redeemed. Um, and some of them need to be, they're like the, the, the they need to be, they need to die, you know? Yeah, um, so yeah. yeah, like the, the death penalty, there's no place for the death penalty um, in the rain, the dream of God. There's no, yeah. you know, God's dream is not for a hundred people to die every day in America from guns. So, so the question is kind of how do we keep moving that direction? And I've come to think of political engagement rather than like the, the, the challenge for every Christian is to misappropriate our hope, 
right? And put, put our hope in a candidate or a party rather than Jesus. And I think it's a powerful declaration, the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that's what the early Christians were saying when they said Jesus is Lord. They were saying Caesar is not, you know, they were mm -hmm. proclaiming that allegiance. So I don't think, you know, when I vote or when I think of engaging leaders that I'm, this is going to save everything. You know, I, I think of it more as damage control, you know, harnessing the principalities and powers that are at work because the, the devil can use systems. <laughs> right. And uh, so I, I kind of think of that, um, that that's how I sort of posture myself. Um, and, and so the question is like, who's going to do less damage? How can we do less damage? How can we alleviate the suffering of more and more people and things like the death penalty? sometimes come down to one person, a governor mm -hmm. in our states that can single-handedly stop executions, right? So right. Th that, yeah. that's kind of what I, how I think of it. And, you know, Dr. King had a, a really um, powerful way of thinking about this. He said, a law cannot make you love me, but it can make it harder for you to kill me. Right. <laughs> so, you know, no Which law, is also important, yeah. No law can change a human heart. And that's where we need the power of God. That's the vocation of the church, right? That yeah. we are to see that God is at work healing racist hearts, healing violent hearts. No law can do that. You get rid of every gun. People are going to find other ways to kill each other. Like, so it's, it's bigger than just policies. And yet, yeah. I think that God is also inviting us to think about policies, right? Like, um, just like we do with cars, let's find ways that we can protect people, you know, um, and much less with guns, you know, cars aren't designed to kill, but guns are. So how can we do a better job at protecting people rather than guns? All of that, you know, policies that the very word policy has its root in the people. Yeah. And so it means like loving our neighbor as ourselves includes thinking about the policies that affect their lives. I mean, we couldn't just be champions for racial reconciliation in the civil rights movement and not say, you know, white people and black people should be able to swim in the same swimming pools and vote and drink from the same water fountains. Like these are racist systems that need to change as well yeah. as God healing the heart. So God heals hearts, people change laws. We need both. Where's the room for, or what do you think about compromise? Where, where is this? Because I, I feel this tension in myself brought up with a kind of a, well, first of all, brought up as a evangelical culture warrior where you're not supposed to ever compromise your beliefs. And then, and then sort of uh, infatuated and attached to the Jesus idea of purity and light in the darkness. And, and I was like, well, where does that, how does that work now when I'm in government? I mean, you talked about policy comes from polis. I'm in the UK and we have a parliament, which comes from parley, which means you talk together, you don't kill each other, that you do government by talking. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily involve compromise. Yeah. But that's the point, really. Mm -hmm. How, what happens when you've got a very clear vision of right and wrong and yet you have to compromise with in the system that you've just described, this, this American system that's absolutely addicted to violence and nationalism and worshiping itself? Yeah. How do we how do we help our, our, our followers of Jesus who are working in government in that way? Wow. Yeah, this is a good one. I, I uh, oh, you're asking all the questions. I need. I guess I'm gonna have to have I'm you. I'm a on political that. theologian, man. I'm have to have you have you on my radio show so I can ask you all the questions. You know, there on premier radio. But th this, th when I think of Jesus, 
Yeah. The only times I see him, I, I don't even know if I would use the word compromise. The only time I see him budge on the law yeah. are when, when the law is getting in, in the way of what love requires. Right. So, okay. you know, man wasn't made, people weren't made for the Sabbath. The yeah. Sabbath was for, made for people, you know? Yeah. So if you see somebody needs healing, heal them. Right. So those things like, and, and that's, that's interesting, right. That there are times where, I mean, this is why I, um, I believe in civil disobedience, you know, breaking the bad laws. Cause Dr. King says a red light is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but in an emergency, when a fire is blazing, uh, you know, the, the vehicles go through that red yeah, light to right. save lives. So, yeah. so I think that that's where we, but, but it, it's, it's gets blurrier than that. Doesn't it? When you start to say like, you know, are there accommodations that we're going to make in order to get something else that we believe in, you know, I, I think in the immigration crisis right now, um, which was true under Trump. It's also true under Biden. Last night, we, I was talking about this with two friends. We had a forum on immigration and we're talking about the compromises, right? Like, yeah. um, because he's, there, there were over 400 restrictive policies passed on immigration under Trump, like that were making it prohibitive for asylum seekers, refugees mm. to be able to even seek sanctuary and citizenship. Uh, and so Biden's trying to change those. On the other hand, Biden is has not raised the refugee ceiling. No. And so he's like doing OK on the border crisis, but not on the asylum seeker and refugee crisis. So it's it's like, man, these are so. But this is where I would say this is the freedom that we have in Christ is that we are not embedded with a political party or candidate. Right. I don't want to compromise the, the convictions that I see at the heart of my faith. So in one sense, when I said yes to Jesus, um, that that's my, um, I've cast my yeah. ballot, right? Yeah, like I, right. I've, I've, I've endorsed my policy platform yeah. and now I'm gonna work with everybody I can to try to move things forward. Yeah. And, and I, I can work with people that I disagree with. That doesn't mean I'm compromising my conviction. I like I've been very critical. On, Biden just raised the military budget. Know, he hasn't yeah. he hasn't stopped the death penalty. He no. used to be for the death penalty. He switched. So we need to see some action. Meanwhile, I can really applaud some of the things that he's doing well. And I think we need more of that. Right. Because there's progressives and conservatives that end up having this kind of self-righteousness mm. that can be very constrictive and very oppressive. You know, I, I think it can, yeah. um, self-righteousness is toxic no matter what political flavor it has. And I think Jesus saw that, you know, he, he was calling out the, you know, brood of vipers to the religious folks, but he was challenging, you know, the powers and, and, and that self-righteousness he called the yeast of the Pharisees. So I think we've got to be aware of that. So, you know, that, that toxic kind of self-righteousness, no matter whether it's uh, conservative or liberal. Do you think there are some uh, government jobs or public jobs that followers of Jesus can't do? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I, I say that because that was true in the early church, right? That yeah. as people became Christians uh, and they <clears throat> got baptized, right? It was literally like, the old life has gone, the new has come. I mean, part of the symbol of baptism, right, is you're coming out of the water, a new, you know, a new creation. And so what that meant was that whatever your prior career was, you now have a vocation, a calling in light mm. of Jesus. And that, that, that call for all of us 
is to seek first the kingdom of God, right? To seek first the dream of God. Uh, how does my life fit into the big story of what mm. God's doing in the world? And, um, and, and just to break it down, I think that probably any Christian would say, if you own a porn shop, then you probably need to rethink the job in light yeah. of Jesus, right? But we don't, that's the most you know, extreme version, but we don't extend that to the military or to companies that are notorious for human rights abuses or large pharmaceuticals that are making money, massive money uh, in, in reinforcing inequities when it comes to AIDS medication, things like that. You know, so I think all of those things are questions that uh, we should absolutely ask. And for the early Christians, incidentally, they began to name some of those vocations that yep. were incompatible or some of those careers that were incompatible with a new life in Christ. And so they named them, you know, as if you work in the brothels, you know, they'd really said that they said, if you work in the gladiatorial games, yeah. if you wear the purple robe of the magistrate, or if you're responsible for carrying out the death penalty, right? Those jobs, um, military uh, combat. Incidentally, like as my reading and you're, you're, you, you uh, feel free to chime in, but I, I mean, my reading is that, there was a debate about whether a Christian could be in the military because the military was a vast mm, enterprise yeah. that built bridges and aqueducts and everything, you know, in kind of first yeah. century Roman world, second century Roman world. But there was no question at whether or not Christians in the military could kill. Yeah, you I can be gonna, in the military gonna, as long as you don't kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there was. They have, we actually have some records, don't we, of, of generals complaining to each other because they've got some Christians in the uh, soldiers and the soldiers are happy to be soldiers. They just refusing to kill anybody. Yeah. And so the generals are like, they have them in the back peeling potatoes and stuff. So they don't know what else to do with them. And I, I thought yeah. that's such an interesting, they're like, Oh yeah, you can be a soldier. I just won't kill anyone. So I'm, if <laughs> right. you want me, I'm here. I'll do whatever it takes. I just won't kill somebody. <laughs> the, the yeah. Like I said, I think that might've been like less, uh, weird back then because you know the so it was kind of like they were doing so many different things yeah. uh, in society and and sometimes they still are you know but the idea now is ludicrous right to think that I'm going to be a soldier well, of course but it is. no matter I mean, what yeah. I'm told to do I'm going to yeah yeah but what so. you're doing is you're giving the choice to the general you're saying this is what I'll do what do you want what do you want to do about it you're you're giving it back over to them really and like you know, theoretically, the army could decide that they want people in them that will refuse to kill. Yeah. But because the army won't do that, it shows you what kind of institution the army really is. Well, and I have friends, I have friends that are in the military that um, I, one of them in particular, one person in particular that um, uh, decided because of his faith, he wasn't going to be able to carry a weapon. And he even said, I'm willing to go back to Iraq or wherever, you know, to, but I just, I'm not going to be able to kill anyone and I'm not right. going to carry a weapon. And uh, I, I think at, at, at some point he was just, you know, discharged and sent to, you know, be checked on and all this, but yeah. Uh, yeah so we, we wrote about him a little bit, but yeah, I, anyway, I, I think it, the, the question, but you know, you think about a police officer, yeah. I mean, there's other things that you start to go, and that's why I think we've got to begin to to separate the this kind of violence from our systems. Part mm -hmm. of why we we have a crisis in America is because police are so heavily armed and ready to respond with that and can't do everything. You know, I think that one of the things that we need 
is an emergency response unit of social workers in America or folks that are trained in de-escalation, that yeah. are trained in mental health, and it doesn't need to be police officers. You're ahead of us in the UK because you, you have you know, police that are armed and police that are not. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of some of the distinctions we need to start to make. Or a little, a little thing called a social worker, which of course sounds like socialism to lots of people. <laughs> but it's surprising how often these major problems get solved when they don't have guns involved and guns yeah. only make it worse it's just well known these things yeah so yeah well i mean when you have more guns than people which is our case here in america i mean we've yeah. got five about five percent of the global population and almost half of the world's guns right i mean that so yeah, you, you, yeah it's not safe for anybody you know P police officers 90 percent of them are who are killed in the line of duty are killed with a gun we've still got bullets that are designed to go through uh bulletproof jackets yeah, right. so right. you know all that stuff so and and here's another another interesting one is military service members our biggest cause of death in the u.s of military service members is suicide right M more folks are taking their own lives with their own guns than in combat um and so i think that this violence it, it it affects everyone right it affects those who obviously are the, the the collateral damage and the victims of violence but it also affects the folks who are pulling the trigger mm -hmm. and and like with the executions with the folks that are carrying out those executions what it does to them so we are just not meant to kill you know and yeah. so when we do it it does something to us so what are some stuff that we could I, for our listeners who are listening to this uh, what are some stuff they can start doing about this i'm going to guess a lot of them are emotionally convinced by what you're saying but practically what, what can we start to do as normal people yeah well I, I i don't know your listeners real well but i know for me and for a lot of us i think the the challenge is uh bringing the stuff in our head and our heart to our feet you know to actually yeah. doing things with it so someone told me that the hardest part about running a marathon is not getting to the finish line it's getting to the starting line you know right right <laughs> so right I, I think we have to start to say that that the we we've got to make this personal, and that's exactly what happens. Is Jesus in in Jesus? Is God leaves the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth, born as a brown skinned you know Palestinian Jewish refugee? So we've got to get into those places that are marginalized and where like like um, I think of Jesus saying when I was in prison, did you visit me? I mean, folks that are incarcerated are not going to come find us. You know, folks that are locked up are not going to be in our church services on Sunday morning. So we've got to go into those places. I think that, and, yeah. and, and ever, so much changes with proximity and with relationship. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that part of our problem when it comes to compassion is actually at its root a proximity problem, you know, because when immigration has names and faces, when gun violence has names and faces, it puts that urgency in us. So I want to start by saying to folks, keep leaning in, you know, mm -hmm. find folks that are already working with refugees that you can volunteer with, find ways that you can, even in the pandemic, write people who are incarcerated. Because um, a lot of folks that are locked up, they can't have any visitors during the pandemic. So getting a letter from someone can uh, be a powerful, okay. powerful relationship. So, um, you know, Mother Teresa, who's been very formative for me, she said, what's important is not how much we do, 
but how much love we put into doing it. And I would kind of close with that. You know, it's not about doing great things, but small things with great love and loving a few people well, building a relationship with someone. And then the, the systemic stuff is important. It's massive. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to have everything start just as Jesus did with our feet on the ground. Shane, where can people go if they want to find out more about the work you're doing or ways they could support or contribute to the stuff that you're involved in? What's some good yeah. places for them to go? Well, folks can start by going to our website, redletterchristians.org. And we've got a redletterchristians.org over in the UK, .uk, that, um, where folks can connect there. Um, and part of what we say is Red Letter Christians is just about, it, it's a web of subversive friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I consider you one of those, Stephen. I don't know if we've got a link to you yet on our website, but we should. But we, yeah. we want to get more and more people connected. Uh, and, and, and there's all kinds of other little subversive friendships that are on there. You know, folks that are making soap with Syrian refugees, people that are musicians that are writing songs at the intersection of Jesus and justice. So we all got to bring our gifts yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and do it together. Well, I love it. Redletterchristians.org and uh, redletterchristians.co.uk, did you say? Uh, yeah, it's redletterchristians.org.uk, I believe. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. Shane, thank you so much for coming on the program. Yeah, I can't wait keep, to see all the kind of good stuff that's going to come out of uh, Red Letter Christian movement that's happening in the subversive, radical, what did you say it was? The subversive friendships yeah subversive friendships i absolutely love that <laughs> i really want to thank you for your time you've, you've given us a, a great amount of your time so now i feel like i need to release you back into the the purple lavender flowers of your forest <laughs> Woo! i love it well hopefully we can be together in uh, real time sometime i do soon, hope my brother. so shane claymore yeah. thank you so much for coming to the tent thank you to further support the show Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about 10 Theology at www.10theology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.